My Daddy Fights Monsters by Dave Rudden. You can always rely on Kate Lethbridge-Stewart to brighten up class presentations, Mrs. Lafferty thought, leaning back in her chair and folding her arms. Very good, Kate, she said. Tell us more. It was 2 p.m. on what felt like the 8th Monday of June and the sun was oozing through the windows like treacle, turning the young minds of 4A soft and warm and easily distractible. And because the pupils had stopped listening to Mrs Lafferty in May, but still occasionally listened to each other, she decided to have them give presentations on Daddy's job. Um, Kate Lethridge-Stewart was small and slender and blonde, you might have described her as elfin, though traditionally elves didn't have black eyes from fighting boys in 5B. Apparently, the boy had asked why Kate's dad had left. Mrs. Lafferty had no idea how he found out, but news in St. Agnes and Pinswick in general travelled fast. According to the teacher who found them, Kate hadn't shown the slightest bit of hesitation in taking on someone twice her size. Now, standing in front of twenty of her peers, she had gone the colour of old milk. It made Mrs Lafferty that little bit more determined to encourage her. Go on, Kate. The little girl's words all came out in a rush, like a cork had been pulled. My dad is a brigadier, and that's really high up rank, and he works for UNIT, that's the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, and that's supposed to be a secret, but I saw it in a letter once that he forgot to put in his safe, and we moved here for a little bit because he's away, and when I asked my mummy what he was doing, she said fighting monsters. Didn't know we were allowed to just make stuff up. Billy Ryan said sourly from the back of the room before Mrs. Lafferty shot him a look that made his teeth clack shut. That's very interesting, Kate, she said. And what kind of monsters does your daddy fight? Kate thought for a moment. Big ones. Very good, Kate, Mrs. Lafferty said. Now sit down and we'll hear from big hairy ones with teeth, Kate said firmly. And slimy ones with lots of arms and... and She looked around the classroom, her expression a little wild. Mrs Lafferty was used to that look. You saw it all the time, when pupils hadn't done the reading and instead decided just to start talking in hope they'd begin making sense halfway through. It was sad to see someone scramble for details about their own father. I could have just made something up. And Gerald Thimbley sniggered. I've read your English homework, Billy, Mrs. Lafferty said smoothly, and we both know that's not true. The pug-headed little boy scowled. Mrs. Lafferty had met Billy's father at parent-teachers' meetings. They had been an experience. She had done her own presentation on the experience afterwards to her husband that evening. Axons! Kate said suddenly. The whole class turned back to look at her. Then her voice went very small. I heard him on the phone once. He fought axons. Thank you, Kate, Mrs Lafferty said firmly. It sounded like a good monster name, at least. Some of the things the children came up with were truly awful. Next!
The assessor masquerading as Billy Ryan let himself in the front door and with the sigh of someone kicking off uncomfortable work shoes dropped its school bag and unzipped the front of its skull. Oh, finally! The assessor's name was Crinix B. Theta, and inside its false flesh disguise it was long and spindly and segmented, like a dentist's tool designed for a scorpion. The real Billy Ryan, along with his family, was lying asleep on the floor, and for a moment Crinix B. Theta thought about waking them up to share the good news. Last time it had tried that, however, all they had done was scream and so Crinix B. Theta had to put them to sleep again. That was fine. Assessors were used to talking to themselves. Earth was challenging. Every assessor knew it. There were far better assignments in the galaxy. Assignments assessors would kill for, and frequently did. When you were a species of spies and data brokers, what mattered was being close to information and influence. Sontar... Diastoborum, asteroid home of the Shadow Proclamation. These were areas of importance, planets around which the universe turned, and every single one of them had an assessor undercover there, quietly taking notes. And then there was Earth, an insipid little dirt ball with a level five civilization and no notion of the vast and vibrant universe above their heads. It was a desperately uninteresting place, and the only thing that put it on the stellar map was the fact that for some reason a Time Lord of Gallifrey seemed to visit at least once a week. Crinic's B Theta stretched to its full length, trying to work the ache out of each crooked pincer and spine. It had seemed like such a smart idea to come here at first. Information about Time Lords, their capabilities, their technology, their motivations, was gold on the data market. You could sell it three or four times over, to Daleks and Rutans, and sometimes even other Time Lords, because nobody trusted Time Lords, least of all the Time Lords themselves. But you had to be careful, very careful. Observing the Doctor in their natural habitat was out for obvious reasons. No assessor who had tried to infiltrate Gallifrey had ever returned and observing them in the wild was almost impossible because they were the very definition of a moving target. So Crinics B. Theta watched the people they knew and the places they liked and did it all in secret, which was difficult because the Time Lords had senses not even assessors could fool. It was risky, it was dangerous, and Crinic's B Theta had just about been ready to cross Kate Stewart off its list. She didn't know the first thing about Unit or the Doctor. Her father, the Brigadier, had seemed to keep it that way on purpose. Until today. Very good, Kate, the assessor repeated in a perfect imitation of Mrs. Lafferty's voice. Tell us more. Fiona Lethbridge-Stewart had her armour of cheeriness in place before Kate's key had finished turning in the door. Oh, maybe today she won't slam it. I'm making biscuits, Fiona called. Come and try one. Slam. It had been three months. Military campaigns had not lasted as long. 
and Fiona had heard Kate come home angry enough times in that month that she knew the frustrated melody of her daughter's arrival like a favourite song. But still she turned the sink tap off and listened. There was always a chance, always hope, that there might be some minor variation. That's what you did when your only daughter was angry at you. You hoped. She'll fling the bag down, Fiona thought, a second before the dry slap of canvas echoed from the hall. The keys, a grumpy jangle into the cup on the side table, and the coat. Keys and bag were one thing, but it took real talent to hang up a coat angrily. What did you do at school today, love? Kate burst into the little kitchen like a thistle-down storm, shoes squeaking on the worn tiles. They'd stayed with Fiona's parents in Chichester after the separation. It had been a godsend, until it hadn't. There were only so many times one could listen to your mother suggest that maybe, actually, your marriage was fine and you were being too demanding. So they had gone to Uncle Reggie's house, which had been empty since his passing. It was small, and the doors stuck, and there were paint cans everywhere from the freshening up Reggie had never got round to starting. It wasn't what anyone would call child-suitable, not least because Reggie had served in the war and brought home quite a lot of souvenirs. But at least it was just them, and that would make it easier for Fiona and Kate to talk. Just as soon as I can figure out what I'm going to say. Uh, Fiona said, neatly catching Kate's wrist before she could grab a biscuit. No treats without conversation, I'm afraid. Kate scowled at her, but the warm smell of biscuits was evidently irresistible, which was precisely why Fiona had baked them. Biscuits brought her conversation. Nothing she had done so far had won her a smile. Your eye is looking better. The school had called to tell Fiona what happened, apparently, the other boy looked much worse, but should not have pleased Fiona as much as it did. Kate stuck out her lower lip. Did Daddy call? No, Fiona said. I said I'd tell you if he does, didn't I? Daddy is very busy with work. That's why we're here in Pinswick, to give Daddy space to do his work. Don't say it, don't say it, Fiona urged herself. Just for a little while coward. How long is a little while? Kate asked sullenly, as she had every day since they'd left. Fiona didn't have an answer. That was the thing about being a parent. You were, as an adult, supposed to have answers. You were supposed to be rational and logical and do the right and wise thing. Presumably that was why you were the one in charge. Unfortunately, all being a parent taught you was that actually it was children who were the rational ones. There was a reason behind everything a child did. They complained when they were hungry. They got grumpy when they were tired. Adults, however, were a mess of conflicting emotions and motivations and expectations. It was adults who made choices without understanding them, who said hurtful things without meaning them, who found themselves angry because of the past and the future and missed dinners and forgotten birthdays and a vague sense that this was not how it was supposed to be. Except that it had always been like that, so what did she expect? I felt like I was married to a state funeral waiting to happen. 
I felt like I was alone when I'd been promised a life together. How did you explain all that to a child when Fiona could barely explain it to herself? Kate was still looking at her with that ferocious, angry curiosity. Children needed reasons. It helped them make sense of things. And at first, they had helped Fiona too. She'd always told Kate her daddy was out fighting and being brave. And as those big, hungry eyes had stared at her, the stories had to become bigger and bigger to fill them. It wasn't lying. That was what Fiona had told herself. She didn't know what Alistair did. He'd never told her. Official Secrets Act and all that. How can it be lying if I don't know what the truth is? So Fiona made up exciting adventures for Kate about Alistair that tried to explain why he was never home, and Kate had clung to them as any child would, and now, in the absence of Fiona actually biting the bullet and telling her daughter the truth of their separation, those stories were all Kate had. "'Well,' Kate said, eyes narrowing. "'You're very like him, you know,' Fiona said, "'because it was easier than saying anything else. "'Very determined. "'He wouldn't let go of things either.' "'Kate's voice was very solemn. "'Does that mean you're going to stop liking me, too?' "'Tears suddenly pricked Fiona's eyes. "'Kate, I would never... I... "'But someone was knocking at the door, "'and Kate had already pulled away.' Outside the door, Crinick's Theatre adjusted its dress and gave its Mrs. Lafferty disguise a once-over in a pocket mirror. Perfect. Mimicking Billy Ryan had been easy. No one really paid attention to children. Mrs. Lafferty, however, was a public figure in this little town. At any moment on the walk here, someone might have stopped Crinick's Theatre and asked about exam results or school policy or any one of a hundred details that might give the assessor away. Of course, if anything like that happened, Crinick's Theatre had some tricks to fall back on. Assessors weren't capable of grand psychic feats, unfortunately. Not for them the total cloaking of the silence or the shape-shifting of the multiform. Not strong, but highly tuned. That was what they said at the Academy. Crinick's B Theatre had been top of its class, and all it could really manage was a little memory manipulations, some illusion work, and the occasional psychic nudge to send someone to sleep or make them cooperate. It didn't think that that would be needed with Kate. She was dying to boast about her father to anyone who would listen. Crinixby Theatre had been ready to dismiss it all as fairy tales until the little girl had mentioned axons. What else had Kate overheard? What secrets might she carry about Unit and its mysterious scientific advisor? And more importantly, what might interested parties pay for them? Crinixby Theatre knocked again noting the peeling paint on the doorframe and the garden struggling with weeds. Every other house on the street was beautifully kept, not a blade of grass out of place. A few doors down, a child leaving their home with their mother blanched as it saw that strangest of all things, a teacher outside of school. 
and Krennick's B-theta indulged itself by twisting Mrs. Lafferty's face into a wicked smile. In this line of work, it was the little things. You were sensitive to knocks on the door as an army wife. It wasn't that Fiona thought it was Alastair. His knock was brisk. Not impolite, certainly, but with the quiet strength of someone who knew that their business was important. There were probably courses about it. But mingled with that new relief was old fear. The fear that it was one of his superiors. The fear that it was the news so many army wives got. The news that made them army widows instead. Daddy! Kate was different, of course. She wasn't as used to Alastair's knock because he usually came home after she'd gone to sleep. Or maybe she just wanted it to be him so much that she didn't care. She barreled down the hallway and flung open the door without so much as a moment's hesitation. Pet, Fiona said. Uh, wait! Hello, said Mrs. Lafferty. Parent-teacher meeting. This is... Unusual, Fiona Lethbridge-Stewart said, and Crinick's B-theta could only agree. A lot of effort had gone into the assessor's Mrs. Lafferty disguise, but Crinick's B-theta was proud of the finished result. Weeks of lurking behind Billy Ryan's face had given the assessor plenty of opportunity to make a study of the teacher. All the little micro-expressions and messiness that made a human a human. Mrs. Lafferty was fun to be. She glared a lot. She rolled her eyes when people were being inefficient and thought she was good at hiding it, but she wasn't. People were afraid of her. It was a delight. And yet Fiona Lethbridge-Stewart did not seem cowed. She didn't appear happy either. She didn't invite the assessor in, but instead stepped out onto the tired-looking porch, saying something inaudible to Kate and then shutting her inside. We just wanted to check up on Kate, the assessor said. Parents liked when you cared. Make sure she's all right after the incident. Will you be speaking to the other child's parents? Fiona asked, scowling as if she already knew the answer. Kate shouldn't be blamed for any of it. I don't care that she broke his nose. It was impressive, <laughs> the assessor said, smiling with Mrs. Lafferty's mouth. After a moment, Fiona smiled too. Thank you for coming out. It, it's very kind of you. Not at all. Uh, may I uh, speak to her? Fiona frowned, and Crinick's B-theta briefly considered giving her a little mental nudge. You had to be careful. It took real psychic muscle to make someone do something they truly did not want to do. Better to finesse it. Wait until you found something they wanted to do and help them along. Yes, of course. Fiona said eventually, let me go and get her. No invitation in, suspicious or embarrassed about her home. Humans were very funny about such things. Of course, Crinick's B-theta said and stepped back to wait. Fiona disappeared inside, closing the door behind her. A minute passed, then two and the assessor began to feel the first stirrings of unease pull at its antennae. You didn't spend years as a deep-cover agent 
without learning to trust your instincts, and something here wasn't right. The street was empty. The June sunlight didn't quite reach through the trees, and the neglected porch of the Lethbridge Stewart's house was unexpectedly cold. Wind raked the hedges. A dog was whining somewhere, high and shrill and angry. And though the false flesh of Mrs. Lafferty was designed with multiple breathing holes and ventilation grills, the assessor felt breathless with anxiety all the same. They know. The one thing assessors did better than spy was gossip, and there were a thousand stories of that last big score, that crumb of priceless data that, if sold, would set you up for life. You were never more vulnerable, the superstition went, than during the last day. There was never a bigger chance that things might go wrong. Perhaps the brigadier was inside, loading a pistol. Perhaps a squad of unit soldiers were even now creeping up through next door's garden, rifles raised. Maybe the Time Lord, the great and terrible elder being, that grim old monster of the cosmos, was about to drop down from the fourth dimension and turn Krinnick's B Theta into a smear on their boot. It was suddenly very hard to breathe. The assessor had racked up whole weeks, folded away in smaller spaces than this, but suddenly it felt flabby and squashed, as if it had accidentally covered the ventilation holes and was suffocating inside its own disguise. You got greedy this close to a big score. You got careless, and there were urges, wild urges that came with undercover work. Every assessor knew it. They would sneak up on you when you were close to something good or just through something bad when a mission had gone sour, when a success was close enough to taste. The assessor felt it now, a tight and sickly pinch. Reveal yourself. Insanity. You're going to suffocate in this thing. Ludicrousness. A breath. That's all. Clear your head. And just like that, Krinnick's B. Theta's fingers were at the secret clasp behind the false flesh disguise's ear. Mrs. Lafferty's face unzipped, and then Fiona Lethbridge Stewart opened the door. Sometime later, Fiona would be quite proud that she hadn't screamed. Finding Mrs. Lafferty at the door had been quite the shock in the first place. The teacher had eyes like Alistair, quiet, contemplative. Fiona had informed her of the separation. Kate had already been misbehaving when they arrived in Pinswick, and Mrs. Lafferty hadn't offered sympathy because it had been quite obvious Fiona didn't want it. The teacher had just nodded and said she'd keep an eye on the girl as much as she could. Oh, clacked a pair of chitinous jaws, now protruding from the scooped-out bowl of Mrs. Lafferty's head, its beady eyes wide and bright. The voice was unmistakably that of Mrs. Lafferty, except that it was clearly coming from between the insect's mandibles rather than the woman's mouth. Oh, dear. Fiona slammed the door in both its faces and spun round. Kate was staring up at her with saucer eyes. You just slammed the door in a teacher's face, she whispered. Despite the horror, it was almost painfully good to see a shocked little smile on her daughter's mouth. And then the full bulk of Mrs. Lafferty slammed into the door behind them. 
I just need a second of your time, Fiona picked up Kate and ran. Where are we going? What's happening? Fiona didn't have a good answer for that question either. She had Kate under one arm squirming and wriggling and reached the back door just as she remembered that the back door hadn't opened since Uncle Reggie had hair. Oh, think, Fiona. Be tactical. What in the name of God was that thing? A prank? A hallucination? A bad waking dream? Fiona was suddenly hit by a memory. She and Alistair in their sitting room, late at night after she'd drunk three glasses of wine, and he hadn't had any because it was one of those long weeks where he seemed anywhere but in their marriage. She had asked him point blank, What do you do at work? And he hadn't answered, Of course. The solid, redoubtable brigadier. The rules weren't rules for Alistair. They were physics. He could no more break them than he could fly. He had just looked at her, and in that look, she had some sort of answer. Knowledge was power, but it was also pain. Fiona knew that for a fact. A horrible thought occurred to her as the front door splintered and shook. Kate, she said with horror, what did you do today at school? There were assessors who controlled armies. There were assessors who commanded battleships that could burn this world to ash. There were assessors whose false flesh disguises emulated the most dangerous creatures in the universe. And, of course, there was the Grand High Assessor, who was so powerful it did not wear a disguise at all. And then there was Crinick's B Theta in a body of a stocky teacher from Batsford who had just broken its shoulder trying to smash in a door. When I sell whatever Kate Stewart knows, I'm treating myself to a deluxe model. It charged one more time, and finally the hinges gave. The door fell with a clatter, and Crinixby Theta staggered into the house, trying to fit the crushed and dangling arm back into its socket. Really, this was all incredibly embarrassing. Now, where were they? A paint can hit it in the face. The blow might have killed a regular human. As it was, Crinick's B-theta was rattled around like a bean in a jar. Mrs. Lafferty's false face, unzipped in a moment of weakness the assessor still could not explain, nearly came away entirely and Fiona Lethbridge-Stewart barreled past it, carrying Kate, and bolted for the stairs. Come back, Crinixby Theta snarled, accompanying the words with a pulse of psychic demand. It nearly worked, too. The woman stopped halfway up the stairs, swaying as the mind hold took. But then Kate wailed in her arms and there wasn't a psychic in the galaxy that could silence the desperate parental urge to make a scream like that stop. Fiona stooped, and Crinick's B Theta had to throw itself backwards to avoid another can of magnolia white, taking its head off entirely. By the time it had righted itself, senses still off kilter, the two humans had vanished upstairs. Not for the first time, it wished that assessors carried weapons, but that was the thing. They weren't soldiers. They were spies. Being a spy meant being unseen. If you had to draw a weapon, you were doing it wrong. 
that anxiety surfaced again, rising up around it like boiling steam. Krennic's B Theta had to fight through it to move. What is that? What was that worming doubt, that terror squeezing its mind? Then Krennic's B Theta understood and knew what it had to do. Kate didn't ask any questions as Fiona flung her onto Uncle Reggie's bed. That's how she knew her daughter was truly frightened. One second, darling, Fiona said with manic cheer. I just need to find something. Uncle Reggie. Uncle Reggie, who sang far too loudly at family birthdays and told inappropriate war stories, and had once sat with Alastair for a long time in the garden and then firmly told Fiona that she had found one of the good ones even if he was of the officer class. Reggie, who kept souvenirs. She flung herself to her knees in front of Reggie's cheap old wardrobe and rummaged through the black bags and yellowing shirts folded on top. Mama? Kate hadn't called Fiona Mama in years. Get under the bed, Kate, Fiona said. Now I'll explain in just a little bit. There. An old tin box, the kind you put tea or biscuits in, and the pistol inside, gleaming like new. Fiona? The voice was soft, hesitant, and when she heard it, Fiona Lethbridge-Stewart went so cold the butt of the pistol felt warm in her palm. Fiona? Are you in the bedroom? It was Alistair. The anxiety had been the answer, of course. Krennic's B. Theta should have figured it out sooner. Assessors were psychic, not strong, but highly tuned. And Krennic's B. Theta had come here to a house where two people were struggling with absence and presence and each other and themselves. And Krennic's B. Theta had walked right into it, like a Geiger counter into a uranium mine. But now that anxiety was going to work for it. Psychic manipulation was easiest when the subject wanted to believe what you were telling them. When they wanted to do it anyway, then you weren't fighting them. You were helping them along. And wouldn't these two both be relieved that the brave brigadier had come home to protect them? Fiona? Kate? Krennic's B. Theta said again with the voice of Alastair Lethbridge-Stewart and all the psychic energy it could muster. Can you come down so we can talk? Fiona barely caught Kate before she reached the door. It's Dad! Kate shouted, her voice almost a wail, and Fiona found herself nearly falling back onto the carpet with the force of the little girl's desperate straining. He's come, come to protect us, come to... The two of them grappled, and had Fiona not been on the floor and face to face with her daughter she might not have seen it. Kate's eyes weren't just Kate's. There was something else in there, too. And then Fiona felt it, a warmth bubbling up between the folds of her brain. It was the strangest sensation. Her, but not her. Something she knew was utterly outside herself, but somehow inside her head at the same time. Alistair was here. Things were simple again. They could go home, they, they could leave Pinswick and this musty old house and try to salvage their marriage. It would be easy. Fiona hadn't realised how much she wanted that, for things to be simple, 
for everything to go back to the way it was. All she had to do was take Kate and go downstairs. It's going to be all right, pet, she said, hugging Kate tight. Daddy's here. Everything's going to be all right. And Kate stiffened in her arms. Krennic's B-theta reached the landing and made its way towards the bedroom. The Mrs. Lafferty disguise wouldn't fool anyone anymore. One arm hung loose and limp, the shoulder was dented and deformed, and the false flesh face hung by a thread, exposing the chitinous assessor to the warm June air. Yet none of that mattered, because every ounce of the assessor's psychic talent was projecting warmth and trust into the heads of Fiona and Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. It didn't matter, because Krennic's B-theta was going to find out what they knew about Unit and the Doctor, and then it was never setting foot on Earth again. Open the door, Fiona, Krennic's B-theta said in the voice of Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart. You poor thing, open the door and let me look at you, my darling. It placed one fleshy hand on the doorknob and began to turn it and then a gunshot removed part of the door next to its head. Krennic's B-theta went very still. I'm actually quite a good shot, Fiona said on the other side of the door. Her voice was wary, ground down, like the violent events of the last few minutes were just the full stop on a long and difficult story. My uncle used to teach me, and he has lots of bullets in here. The distant assessing part of Krennic's B-theta's brain helpfully pointed out that, going by the discharge noise and the exit crater, the weapon was old, probably World War II era, and that Fiona was either exaggerating her skill or her hand was shaking quite badly. Not that it made much difference. False flesh disguises weren't meant to be shot at, and neither was Krennic's B-theta. If having to draw a weapon was a sign you had failed in your assignment, being shot at was far worse. I don't want to hurt you, Krennic's B-theta said in its true voice, a dry, dead whisper. I was just looking for... My husband, Fiona said icily. We're separated. Information... Krennic's B-theta finished. That's all for anything you and Kate... Don't say her name, Krennic's B-theta flinched. For anything either of you knows about what your... What the Brigadier does, who he knows, that's all. Data the assessor's voice almost a whine. Just data? A long silence, and then Kate spoke, her voice small and shaking. We don't know anything. I, I, I don't know anything. Just some words. Kate, don't talk to it. It's okay, Mama. The little girl's voice strengthened. You're in our heads, aren't you? I can feel it. Pushing us, trying to get us to believe your... your story. Kate, how do you... Monsters can do all sorts of things.
Kate said, with the calm acceptance of a child. And if it's in our heads, it should be able to see I'm telling the truth. Monster? Yes, Crinnick's beef-eater said. Do we have what you're looking for? They didn't. They really didn't. And Crinnick's beef-eater's terror suddenly returned. The thought of what Unit might do if it found an assessor watching its families. The thought of what the doctor might do. I'm sorry, Crinnick's beef-eater whispered and fled. How did you know to stop me opening the door, Fiona asked, when she was sure the thing was gone, that it wasn't Daddy. You told me it was going to be all right, Kate said simply. The two of them were sitting on the floor. Kate nestled between Fiona's legs, the way she used to when she was small. Fiona hadn't let go of the gun yet. She wasn't sure she could. And? I didn't believe you, Kate said. I don't believe you. I want to. But I know you've been lying to me about Daddy coming back. I know, Fiona said, and scrubbed tears from her cheek with the back of her hand. And I, I'm sorry, Kate. You shouldn't lie. But now, now I know that you miss Daddy too. Of course I miss him, Fiona said. I miss him. Every day. And he wishes he was here too. I know he does. But... Monsters, Kate said solemnly. Right, Fiona said. But we will see him. I promise. Just not right now. Right now, we need to figure out how we can be on our own. Kate sniffed back tears and then snuggled into the crook of Fiona's arm. I think you're doing okay so far. <laughs>